And and so you have these melodramatic scenes so contrived. I mean, the the characters are so hackneyed. And then you have periodically this eruption of violence, which really at some point it's like a bloodbath. And are, is, are we supposed to laugh at this even? And I know I sound puritanical, but are we supposed to laugh at some of this? And all of it is just tossed our way. And, and it really is. I think it's this year's cinematic disaster in the sense that one's expectations had to have been higher than this. And then watching it, I crawled out of the theater. I was ashamed of being an Italian-American at this point having 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 my culture depicted like this on screen hello and welcome to at the movies with mike and marie a show where two film professors talk about movies i'm marie westhaver and i'm mike giuliano today we're going to talk about air and mafia mama starting off with air okay mike this is a movie about shoes how do you make a shoe movie interesting you have identified exactly what I want to talk about. <laughs> Namely, like they're about Air Jordans, okay? And so the film is set in 1984. It's a period piece in terms of tennis shoe history. <laughs> and it's it's probably the only movie I've ever seen that's really about shoes. I mean, the feature-length film about shoes. Oh, so maybe the, kinky, kinky boots. Kinky boots. All right. Well, those are boots. But, the, but the, so the, okay. So, yeah, that's the only movie about boots. This is the only one about tennis shoes. I, you're right. There are genres and subgenres, right? This is the subgenre devoted to tennis shoes. But anyway, here's the deal. On the one hand, I fully appreciate both financially and culturally the importance of Air Jordans. So when people cite specifics about him as a, as a basketball player or about what the, the, the shoe itself meant in our culture, all that, I get it. I mean, you know, I, I, so I'm not oblivious to that. That's on the one hand. On the other hand, as I, and it does a very good job at that level. On the other hand, as I was watching it, I kept thinking, it's only about tennis shoes. I, I mean, like, like get a life kind of thing, right? Like so when people get attached to like a new shoe or a new gizmo or a new this or that, at some point I say, come on, get it, get real, get a life here. And, and so even though I enjoyed this film, there's a lot to be said for it. Ultimately, to me, I just wanted to just kind of smile and shrug and say, it's just a tennis shoe, people. <laughs> so what was your gut reaction to it? That was mine. I guess because my one of my very first jobs was working at Tom McCann. And so I, I understand about trying to sell shoes and how so much of it has to do with trends and fashions and what other people think is cool. I guess I enjoyed the shoe part of it just because, you know, it's something universal. And one interesting fact that comes out from one of the shoe designers is that shoes have been around for as long as we've had people. And the only real design change that has come around is to create a different one for the left and right foot. And that was 600 years ago. So when he said that, I thought that it really just is all about image and trends and fashion and all that kind of thing. It's more selling the sizzle and not the steak. And, but where did you go from there with your thoughts? Because, you know, I, I in fact, here, speaking of a period reference to have worked at Tom McCann, um, I, <laughs> I was a customer back in, I don't know if you, if you were, you look familiar, actually. I think you may have, might have been me. <laughs> you might have been. But, and I so understand how like fanatical people can be about, about tennis shoes. And here's a quick incidental um, footnote. Just in one of my courses here at the college, we were just watching Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing. And there are 101 flashpoints of anger in that film. And I won't get sidetracked with this. It won't be a digression, really. But one of them is that somebody accidentally steps on somebody else's tennis shoes and scuffs them up. 
them's fighting words, you know, I mean, how much those shoes cost, how much they mean. So again, it really registers on all, all those levels. But let's actually get into the nitty gritty of it. What, um, what did you find enjoyable about the film? Because I think it actually is well cast. I, I think it does a good job of, of actually. And so in terms of the acting, you know, actor to character, and then in terms of actually tracing the history of this particular shoe, I think it does a good job with all those things. What about you? I guess what I found interesting was the sort of behind the scenes look at how a shoe company can put aside some money for advertising and decide, well, we're going to spread this out over three different people that we're going to hire to promote our shoes. And then deciding on this very radical idea to put all the eggs in one basket and go after one person. That's one part of the story that this is how advertising works kind of thing. I Totally enjoyed Matt Damon in a fat suit. I always enjoy Matt Damon. He's always Matt Damon, by the way. And he's Matt Damon in this too. Kind of enjoyed him playing this sort of schlubby looking guy who actually his approach was something that changed the way athletes were able to make money off of their own brand. That's actually the more interesting story. It really is the behind the scenes of it, so much so that in terms of Michael Jordan himself, and this is sort of a bold move on the filmmaker's part, you only see him from the back and mm -hmm. only briefly. And you only hear him speak like once or twice in the entire film, just like, hello, thank you, something like that. He's the hole in the dome cut in a way, right? Everything's circling around him, but but you never... And I, I like that because there's that mythic presence. And in this film, we're seeing him at the very start of the career. Like, he, you know, he's going to be a rookie and, and, you know, great college, great talent coming in. But from the corporate perspective, do you want to put all your eggs in that basket? In other words, you know, he's not really quite proven yet. And as Marie said earlier, some of the suits, some of the execs would say, well, why don't we spread the money out over three athletes rather than gambling on just one becoming a big hit? Because you were talking millions of dollars by way of manufacturing a shoe and then the marketing actually. And, and it's all about marketing, isn't it? Because it's, and I, I know people will tell me there are differences between one tennis shoe and another. I know all that. I, I'll get the lecture on it. But so much of it's in the marketing, isn't it? It's the image. It's the brand that's being sold. And then I think one of the, the strengths, even glories of the film is it really takes you behind the scenes at the conference table as the suits sit around and argue the point. That was quite interesting, actually, as to, you know, how they, they, they target a demographic, how they how they target a particular design. I mean, I love the design scenes where you really say, well, what if we put the, you know, the, the angle this way or that or the color? What color should it be? And then, of course, in terms of NBA regulations, what colors you can and cannot have. All that was interesting detail. Back to Marie's earlier point, I really appreciate Matt Damon. I've always enjoyed him. What I like about him and really admire at this point, he's moving into middle age and he's not afraid to show it. He is schlubby. He's the perfect word. He's schlubby here. He looks almost portly, right? He's kind of schlubby here. And he put him in that suit, put him at the table. He's still, you know, he's still a good looking guy. He's still, he's still charismatic, but he's clearly getting into middle age that way. I think he probably should be paired up with, I don't know, Matthew Broderick at this point or something, you know, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like sort of showing his age at this point. And he plays one of the, one of the, the company executives. And there's some really good scenes between his character and the Phil Knight character. Phil Knight, of course, is, is the CEO. He's the head of all this, played by Ben Affleck, of course, who also directed the film. And that's something where we as an audience bring all of our shoes with us, all of our baggage with us. When you think about their friendship, their partnership over the years, yes, it's just simply a pleasure to watch the two of them trade lines there. And on the one hand, we can say, yeah, it's always Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. You're always aware of them as actors. On the other hand, so what? You know what I mean? I mean, that's the thing about being a movie star. We go to see the movie stars. And so I'm watching them play these characters and they both really do 
to get into character here, all the eccentricities that Phil Knight has and all. And, and, you know, when you're working in an office environment, you have to be sensitive to that. Like what what makes sense financially, but also at, at that level of personal interaction. So a lot of the most interesting scenes actually are relatively minor scenes here, aren't they? People passing in the hallway, you know, who's drinking coffee, who's who's, you know, looking to this side or that. You could say that doesn't have a big story purpose, but that is the story, really. It's all that behind the scenes machination in terms of the marketing of it. The other thing in that respect, in terms of uh, interpersonal relations, that, that because Michael Jordan is almost invisible as a figure in the film, it's his parents and specifically his mother who really, you know, are foregrounded. And just on an incidental note, the fact that Viola Davis plays the mother and her real life husband, Julius Tennant, plays the father. So that's kind of neat that way. So the shoe company's out in, in Oregon, but the parents are back in what, North Carolina. So Matt Damon decides to do something he probably shouldn't do. You really typically go through sports agents, right? He's going to directly go and make an appeal like, we want your son, you know, to rep our, our new shoe and this and that. One of the great, great pleasures of the film is just simply Viola Davis and, and, and her face. The fact that, you know, she has such a strong character. She knows what's best for her son, what she wants. She's an ideal business manager. A mother is business manager. But the way in which she is so, I don't want to say passive, but the way in which she's so restrained that she will just sit and listen to the sales pitch and then just in two or three sentences make it clear what she wants. And, and those are really glorious exercises in acting because oftentimes acting is in effect reacting, isn't it? it, it and we, we talked about this, uh, in fact, even just minutes ago, the fact that it's just, you know, somebody says something to you, how does your face respond to it? That's the mark of a really good actor. And, and in acting classes, they talk about that. We tend to think about acting in an extroverted way. No, no, no. What really matters there is how you listen to the other person and how your face responds. Well, script-wise, I mean, one of the techniques that makes it satisfying to watch a movie is when they set something up for you and then they knock it down for you later. So you refer to a really great scene that honestly, to me, Viola Davis can do no wrong. Matt Damon's character does go to meet with, with her and, and it is sort of, you know, outside the realm of politeness and good business practices. But he says, let me tell you what's going to happen when you sit down with the guys from Converse and from Adidas. Converse guys are going to, you know, say blah, blah, blah. And, you know, he's just one of many. And the dude's going to totally be wearing a Rolex. And then later in the film, you see her in the meeting with the guys and you see the Rolex and you see her expression and it is frozen, but you know exactly what she's like. There's the Rolex. He said there would be Rolex. You know, he he was straight with me, but she doesn't give away to the guys that anything's going on behind her face, but you know it is, and you can see it because that's how good she is. Also wanted to mention that I thought the details about the 80s were so well done. Somebody really did their homework, and every song is exactly on point, even down to when Matt Damon goes into what's kind of like a 7-Eleven to buy some stuff. Every magazine is just spot on. Everything evokes the 80s in a way you remember it if you lived through it. You know, you make a really important point. This is a period piece. It sort of pains us to say that, right? This is a, <laughs> this is a period piece. And the thing is, and this doesn't get as much respect as, as it really should. Think about the difficulty of that. People tend to think about it just in the most obvious way, like, okay, are the cars right? And we, I do too, right? You know, is that the right car for that decade? Uh, one thing I notice is in period movies, oftentimes the cars all look like they just came from the car wash. And, and I'm thinking that they look like, think about movies set in the 50s, right? Whereas it's like every car's gleaming. I thought, well, some cars must have been dirty back then, right? 
or older or something. But but anyway, that's on the on the most superficial level of what do the cars look like. But Marie identified what's really crucial here, namely if you go into a convenience store, what kind of potato chips, what kind of soda, you know, on the production design team, somebody has to actually do that. That's what I'm getting at. It's one reason why period movies not only are more expensive to make, but more difficult in a lot of ways, because sometimes you have to like carefully crop exterior scenes. What can you show and not show to make sure it stays in period? And the 80s is now far enough back that in this film, they're very careful about it. And you're absolutely right, right, Marie. There's a a pleasure just simply in noting those details. And again, those aren't world changing details, but we've all been in convenience stores and we know what the shelves should look like. And you know what? If you get one detail wrong, the whole shelf collapses. (laughs) It's so true. Now, Mike, how would you stack this up against a movie that I think is similar in the way it gives you a look behind the scenes at the sporting world and the agents, et cetera? How do you think this stacks up next to Jerry Maguire? That's an interesting point. I I, I think in Jerry Maguire, there's a more pugilistic quality to it in some ways. I mean, not that this movie doesn't have some acrimonious exchanges and businesses agreements and all, but I don't know if I want to say like one is is, is better than the other. I, I think I think this one is so focused on on the shoe itself and whatever melodrama there is is, is all around the shoe itself. And the other film, it focuses more on, on on character disagreements and on career building and so on. I mean, it's a different kind of focus, isn't it? I mean, it's, they're, they're both in the same sports world, we could say, but I, I think watching them is a very different experience. I don't know if I want to, I haven't really thought about this, obviously, in terms of is one better than the other. I have to say, I probably enjoyed this one more in, just in the sense of it really did take me behind the scenes in a way that was kind of illuminating. So even though I was being a little sardonic and saying it's a movie about tennis shoes. It's like, well, okay, if you're going to do that, you know, how do you design the tennis shoe? And I love the, I mentioned this earlier, I love the scene where we're actually showing like models, like mock-ups. What if we did this? What if we did that? And you know, you spend millions of dollars on development for something like this. And yet it's all about image, isn't it? Because I think realistically, I've worn various kinds of tennis shoes and yeah, I know I'll get into the differences, but you know, ultimately I'm just putting a shoe on. I'm, I'm sorry. You know, or if I really want to be bold, I'll put on a kinky boot or something, but, but you know, I, I, need, to put, I need to put something on my feet. So let me do that. Well, two things that I thought, and I know we, we we always talk on the show about how keep it edited down to the essentials, you know, don't flab out over two hours. And this is not quite two hours. I think it's an hour and 50 minutes. So the things that I thought were missing is that I did miss more Michael Jordan and not like they needed to pay him to actually have a cameo, but they could have inserted more actual footage of him to give us more of a sense of him being in the movie. I felt that like that was missing. The other thing was that I wanted just a little bit, a little taste of the excitement regular kids got from wearing. It wasn't just about, you know, Michael Jordan making a million bazillion dollars. And one of the little factoids you find out is that he makes $400 million a year just from passive income from this, which is amazing and wonderful. But you sell the shoes to people. And and it was missing for me that reaction of how cool it was for a kid to own the shoes. I would endorse anything for $400 million. You're kidding. It could be the the ugliest shoe ever. The worst example of fast fashion from an ecological standpoint, I would endorse it in a moment. (laughs) And then I'd retire. Um, But no, here's the, you make some really good points here. I mean, as much as I enjoyed this film, I had a really kind of this and that response to the fact that Michael Jordan is there and not there, but mostly not there. 
And I've really been thinking about this a lot. I'm not fully resolved on the matter. I think it was a really bold move to have him as like the hole in the donut and everything swirling around him. But ultimately, that is kind of frustrating, isn't it? I think we should have had a little bit more of him. But then once you have a little bit more, how much is enough once you have more? And I think creatively, that would have been a real issue. Should you even get like a full face shot of him? You could easily get an actor just to just to do that. But wouldn't he have said something more at the table, basically? And I don't know enough about his personal, I feel like I know his personal life because he's such a megastar, but do I know enough about him at that age as to, you know, at the table, how much would he have said? I can't say that. Uh, if I had Viola Davis as my mother, I'd be quiet and listen to her too. I'm not going to talk back to that mom. But anyway, but anyway, but anyway, I think ultimately it's a bit of a letdown in the film. You want, you want a little bit more of him, his presence. Uh, and you do get some archival footage, but you, you really want him more. And, 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 you know, re- related to that, I think what would have been wonderful near the end of the film, and Maria, I agree with you wholeheartedly here, this is, if ever there's a place for a montage, this would have been it. A montage of little kids who just beside themselves with joy because they've gone to, to Tom McCann and, and you've sold them <laughs> Air Jordans or something. Wouldn't that be wonderful to have, like, even like for the end credits, just beaming kids and adults as well, you know, just to hear the new shoes. They could be, imagine the lighting effects, these gleaming shoes and people walking down the street. Oh, what a joy it would be just to watch that montage. That's where the film ultimately, it, it's sort of what I, the expression I use creatively is it plateaus. It, it hits a certain level. It's very effective and enjoyable and just sort of stays there. The, your recommendations would have taken it beyond that in a way that would be more memorable. It really emotionally, I think would be stronger. I, it does make the case for, and this is why sports superstars are able to make a lot of money on branding. I mean, that's really, and that's the movie. And the movie is about the success of the guys in corporate who managed to make this happen. But it didn't, you know, you and I aren't guys in corporate who who invent shoes. So there's a certain amount of rooting for the underdog to win. That's sort of a universal theme. But in terms of John Q. Public watching the movie, these are people who buy the shoes. They also could have maybe had a scene where, you know, you get a glimpse into Michael Jordan's closet and there's like a bazillion pairs. And, or he says, then these are my favorites. Just something to make it about a guy with a shoe that he purchased and actually puts on his feet. But you do know shoes. And and see, Marie, your missed opportunity was you you were an expert at selling shoes. Imagine if you'd gone into marketing. It could be you could have a cut of that four hundred million dollars. I know I took the wrong road somewhere. <laughs> you had a future in footwear. And I blew it. Oh well. I should have worked at Foot Locker instead. <laughs> All right. Well, that brings us to our second movie, Mafia Mama. Now, Mike, I'm just going to start off by saying this must have sounded so good on paper. Let's do The Godfather, but with chicks. And let's make it a madcap, you know, slapstick kind of movie. Uh, Wow. This movie, to me, was such an incredible bomb. Sometimes I can reduce my response to one or two words. It's terrible. Terrible. (laughs) Terrible. Going into it, I thought, well, Mafia Mama, we've all seen mafia comedies. Sure, you know, that's a formula that can often work quite well. Toni Collette is is a gifted actress. You know, I like her there. Let us count the ways in which this goes wrong, okay? She's living out in California, housewife, comfortable middle-class marriage, etc. She gets word about uh, about an Italian grandfather who's died and she's going to inherit and so on. She really didn't, didn't know him or whatever. And she's naively thinking, okay, she'll go to... 
California. Well, she's got a, a marriage that's sort of on, on the rocks and we can talk about that. But anyway, she's going to go to, to Italy and she's thinking she'll inherit, a, you know, a, a winery, a vineyard. And, and then before you know it, and of course, we know it already, you know, she's she's now been designated as the heir to, 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 to the mob leader, to the mafia king, if you will. Now, here's one of and there are about 101 things that are disappointing in this film. It is a bomb. One of them is in a situation like that, how should our protagonist respond? Poor Tony Collette, because I mean, I blame the script in this respect, not her as an actor. She only has the same few repeated expressions and and, and reactions and, and statements, all variations on like, oh, my God, oh, my gosh, oh, I can't believe it kind of thing. And there's scene after scene where she's, I mean, you know, going like this, she's doing a take, as they say, like, oh, what's it? Yeah. And how often can you watch that without thinking not so much what it did for her, but what it did for the screenwriters and director and so on, that they can't think of like more for her to say and do more reactions. So at that level, it really is cartoonish already, right? Secondly, it's so cartoonish at the level of the violence in it. I mean, some of it, is it funny? I don't know. It's just silly, stupid. It's what I call like stupid funny. And and so you have these melodramatic scenes so contrived. I mean, the, the characters are so hackneyed. And then you have periodically this eruption of violence, which really at some point, it's like a bloodbath. And it, are, is, are we supposed to laugh at this even? I know I sound puritanical, but are we supposed to laugh at some of this? And all of it is just tossed our way. And, and it really is. I think it's this year's cinematic disaster in the sense that one's expectations had to have been higher than this. And then watching it, I crawled out of the theater. I was ashamed of being an Italian-American at this point, having, having, having my culture depicted like this on screen. I second everything that you say, except for being um, Italian-American. Like I said, I went into the movie thinking I can see why they thought this would be a great idea. It's a female director. The writer, actually, Mike, when I looked, I, I recognized her name. And I was like, oh, I cannot believe she wrote this because it is someone who is very well known in France. She's written many, many hit novels and plays and scripts. I don't know what went wrong here. And then, of course, Tony Collette and Monica Bellucci. How's that not a fabulous cast? But I will say this. Tony Collette is basically playing the character she was in Knives Out, except she's wandered over into this weird female godfather movie that's also supposed to we think supposed to be a comedy i don't know how funny is it when you make rosé out of white wine with a severed finger in it if, if i like like you said the the script writing is just so off the jokes never land i will say the production value is is pretty decent you know there there are some good action scenes it, it's not a complete wash it's trying to be sort of a subversive eat pray love that doesn't quite land it starts off with her in a self-defense class with, you know, this feisty friend of hers who shows up later, and then they completely turn that character into a caricature. There's just so much cringing in this movie while you're watching it. It's almost hard to quantify. It actually does directly reference Eat, Pray, Love. Uh, it uses more vulgar expressions for that. But but it actually is deliberately, overtly riffing on formulas like that. And yet another reason why it's disappointing is, as Marie alluded to before, the film's director, Catherine Hardwick, has done some good work. She'd done a film called 13. She did the first Twilight. Reasons to be optimistic, not just that we like Tony Collette, but this director's done some good work, right? And the only, I don't even say it's a saving grace, but it keeps it from being a complete washout, for me at least, is it's hard to go wrong when you're shooting an Italy, right? So, 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 you know, there, there are scenes where I was totally bored by the characters and the action, but I'm looking at the scenery 
And I'm thinking, well, when I say you could do worse, I mean, like, geographically, right? Imagine this film set somewhere else where you'd have, like, nothing to take pleasure in. But at least here, there's some good food and wine. And, and okay, there's some bullets flying. And, it, you know, that sets blood in the wine. Or is, is it, you know, something else? Finger, perhaps. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but watching the film, I just kept thinking, boy, when I'm reduced to looking forward to the postcard views, and that's essentially all I had to look forward to. And this movie stumbles from as soon as it's out of the gate. It, 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 it's failing. Like the first scene or two, I thought, well, maybe it'll, it'll get its balance, right? By the time it gets to Italy, it's a lost cause, Marie, isn't it? It's just, it goes from bad to worse at that point. And I sat there thinking, this is like the most depressing film I've seen all year in the sense of I expected so much more than this. And, and it really, this is a, a case where you not only do you say that you hate the film, it's terrible and so on, but you like vigorously tell your friends not to go. You would feel like you're a campaigner, like you're on some moral mission, like whatever you do, don't watch this movie. <laughs> I will say I did have a thought, though, about where I thought it might succeed, because I was on a flight coming back from Europe very recently and scrolling through all the things that are available to watch on the plane. I landed on an old Will Ferrell, Zach Galifianakis movie, The Campaign. Terrible movie. I laughed. I, I mean, it was the perfect kind of plane movie because you're thinking, well, I mean, it's Will Ferrell, you know, exactly what it's going to be like. And it delivers on that level. And it's on a small screen in front of you. Your expectations are low. I, I think this is a plane movie where you're like, you know what? I like Tony Collette. And it just has to be good enough to distract me for a couple of hours while I'm trapped. And I love your observation. I love your observation. That is the kind of movie you should watch on an airplane because you don't really want to watch a quality film there. There are too many distractions, right? You don't want to watch The Passion of Joan of Arc or something, right? No. (laughs) It's not the place for a really serious film. Ingmar Bergman, you can watch on the ground, right? (laughs) But but not not in flight or Carl Dreyer's Joan of Arc. And and so uh, there's something to be said for that. Like, particularly like on a long flight, you're going across the the, the Atlantic and you want something just to divert you for a while. And it could be a really stupid Will Ferrell movie. That's fine. I'll take it because, you know, they're coming around here's my here are my peanuts here's my my soda and here's will ferrell and yes that's just my mind is is set for this and if the person behind me is kicking my seat well i won't even pay attention to that because i'm laughing at a dumb joke in the movie (laughs) now other than the scenes of rome which were beautiful did it have anything to save it from us completely panning it Uh, in a word no in a word no (laughs) I'm trying to think think of additional words, but it it sort of stops at no. (laughs) When her friend arrives and there's this ridiculous courtroom scene that is uh, so badly written and it's almost like Saturday morning cartoon bad. What we have to add to that is her friend, it turns out, is a lawyer. And to the extent that there's pre-planning in a film like this, this has been built in. We learn early on that her friend is a lawyer. And, and she does corporate troubleshooting, if you will. And so it's not entirely out of the realm of possibility that, that you know, when things go bad in Italy, her friend would fly over and sure enough would come to the rescue in the courtroom, okay? An American lawyer in an Italian court. But Marie, I think that courtroom scene is one of the worst scenes I've seen in, in living memory and even before living memory. <laughs> it's just so, not that I want to, you know, spoil anything here, but it's just as, as things get resolved in court there, it's so implausible. It's so ridiculous. It's just so helped scattershot scripting at that point that I I just want to say, you know what it reminds me of? And I wish I could remember what movie it was. But years ago, I was at a critic screening and there were just like two or three other critics there. And, and without naming names, a critic for a daily paper was was there. And we were watching movies so awful. We had the kind of response we had to Mafia Mama. And it got to a scene near the end of the film where he just he'd been shaking. He was sitting in front of me. I could see him shaking his head like, oh, you know, one of these things. He got to the point where he actually he was taking notes. He actually threw his notebook at the screen. <laughs> he, he was so <laughs> disgusted by it. 
and I felt that way with that. I was careful not to bring a notebook. I, I it's so disgusted by the end of this film. It was just like, oh, brother, I've never walked out of a film, but that courtroom scene, I thought, boy, this is as bad as a movie gets. Yes. And again, the writing, if it was funnier, you know, if it was more like Legally Blonde kind of funny, it, it could have worked, but it, it tries to be serious and then isn't. Uh, I don't know. It just it just does not land the way I'm sure they intended it to. But I will say that there was a scene in the courtroom where her friend shows up and, and makes the most of the acoustics for just a moment that did crack me up. I think at that point you're you're not only eager for it, but desperate for a laugh, aren't you? Des- desperate. Anything, desperate. anything will do. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's pretty safe to say that there will not be a Mafia Mama too. Well, you know what? I, I tend to agree with you, and I certainly hope that's the case. But nowadays, you can't take that for granted because, you know, enough movies eventually make their money back one way or another, right? And it seems like a formula it would sell, doesn't it? I mean, the title alone, you would think there might be a sequel to it. But if there's a sequel to it, I'll, I'll let you review that on your own. I'll, uh, you, you can, and you can tell me about it. I'll tell you about it later. Yeah, I think this is going to be one of the movies that Col- Tony Collette looks back on and says, I don't know what I was thinking. Do you know what's, what's interesting? You What's know what? That? There are actors who actually will leave things like this off of their resume. I've I've seen it happen before, like a real bomb. And I'm I'm looking, I'm scrolling down their official filmography. And where is where's this one or that one? The stars going back to classic Hollywood have done that sometimes. Like I'm not going to mention this one. And it's and it's the ornery critic who says, by the way, back in you know 2023, didn't you make a movie called Mafia Mama? That that would end the interview right there. Be like, I'm sorry, our time's up. <laughs> and my publicist told you ahead of time we're not talking about that movie. She will so. walk out if you mention that movie. This is a mess unless you're on a plane. Even then, come on, get go, leave the plane with your parachute. (laughs) Exit (laughs) exit the plane now. (laughs) See if there's a Will Ferrell movie instead. (laughs) But that brings us to the end of this show. But don't forget to check out our other episodes at dragondigitalradio.podbean.com and under Dragon Digital Radio on Spotify and Pandora. And we will see you next time at the movies. See you then. Connect with us. We are Dragon Digital Radio.